Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Do your thing and don't care if they like it. Tina Fey, Bossy Pants. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today, I'm diving into listeners' bookish dilemmas with some literary therapy. Today's topics include romance novels, tackling nonfiction, genre shame, and of course, little women. Pretend I'm coming to you live from Seattle because I'm Annie Jones and I'm listening. Hi, my name is Sheridan. I'm from Connecticut, and I really struggle to read nonfiction. I try and I try, and sometimes I just have to put the book down, or I just go back to my same cheesy romance. Help. Hi, Sheridan. So I think we need to first figure out what nonfiction you're trying, because as all readers know, not all nonfiction is created equal. And I think it's important to note, too, that how we read fiction and nonfiction are two very different things, two very different ways of reading. I tend to read both fiction and nonfiction, but I cannot binge nonfiction titles like I tend to binge novels. I just can't. Um, Nonfiction, even if it's a memoir or something like that, tends to take me a little longer to work my way through. So make sure you're not judging yourself on your reading of nonfiction as you are reading a fiction, if that makes sense. So make sure you're not being too hard on yourself, first of all. Second of all, I think a go-to place to start if you want something that's going to hold your attention and kind of conquer your frustration with nonfiction, I think I'd start with a memoir, something funny, like Tina Fey's Bossy Pants or Mindy Kaling's Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me. To me, those are two go-to titles You can read the essays, pick them up, put them down. You don't have to read them in order if you don't want to. And they're really funny. And they're by people whose voices you probably already recognize, which I think also might help. Like this isn't something you're going to have to get used to reading um, because you already recognize the tone and the voice and the humor. So that would be maybe my first suggestion. My second suggestion would be to look at what kinds of nonfiction you're consuming in other parts of your life. Here's what I mean. Maybe you don't read nonfiction titles or you have trouble with them, but do you listen to true crime podcasts? Do you watch the news or, you know, read the daily skim? Or do you find yourself obsessed with Hamilton or parts of history? If so, then I think it's time to have your reading match up your other interests. So if you like true crime, then I'll Be Gone in the Dark is a great true crime book. The Stranger Beside Me, the Ted Bundy book, also terrifying, uh, but very readable despite its size, might tap into an interest you already have. Um, For history, I think about this new book that was just released two weeks ago or three weeks ago called You Never Forget Your First. It's about George Washington. Title might imply otherwise, but it is, in fact, a biography of our first president. I have a feeling that title alone suggests that the tone of that book is going to be a little different than like a Ron Chernow biography, but 
the author is also a historian. So you're going to get the same types of things you might get from a historical podcast or uh, a historical Broadway play that you really enjoy or a trip to a museum. I also recommend Eric Larson's Dead Weight. That's the book about the sinking of the Lusitania. I will say I love Devil in the White City, but I would not start there if you already struggle with nonfiction. I think you'll get bogged down in some of the details. So Eric Larson is a great nonfiction writer, but I would start with Dead Weight. And then I think memoir is also kind of a safe place to go. So Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling, obviously humorous memoirs, but you could also try something like Inheritance by Danny Shapiro or Wild Game. These are books that really tap into things in the current vernacular, like DNA testing and paternity rights and things like that. But they're wrapped in nonfiction. They're wrapped in personalized storytelling. Educated by Tara Westover is another option, or the original, I'm using air quotes, but what I think a lot of us think of as the original memoir, um, a kind of family memoir, The Glass Castle. So these are options I think you could try that would be a little more fast-paced than maybe another nonfiction title. I'd also suggest trying audiobooks. So I personally don't read a ton of audiobooks, but I do tend to listen to memoirs this way or nonfiction this way, partly because of my love of podcasts and partly because often the narrator, the person narrating the audiobook, is in fact the author him or herself. So immediately what came to mind is the audiobook I'm listening to right now, which admittedly is intense, but it's Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Um, it is outstanding and has my attention. I'm on the edge of my seat whenever I'm listening to it. And then also Mary Laura Philpott's I Miss You When I Blink, which combines some of that humor I was talking about, but also with really poignant storytelling and chapters, especially intended, I think, for those of us who perhaps are type A personalities. So those are my best suggestions for you, Sheridan. And look, I think I'm going to say this more than once on today's episode, but the other thing is, You don't have to love every book or every genre, and it might be okay that nonfiction isn't for you. And if you're worried about missing out on maybe quote-unquote important books or important subject matter, there's a way to read read books that kind of tackle that. I was thinking earlier today about Just Mercy. That's an important book, important nonfiction by Bryan Stevenson. But you might be able to read Americana, the novel by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, instead some of the same types of subject matter. Another one in that same vein um, would be An American Marriage by Tiari Jones. I feel like we don't have to like every kind of genre. It's okay if we don't like certain things, but we still need to be making sure we're reading diversely and we're reading about a bunch of different subject matters. I think that's important too. So there might be a case where the nonfiction book doesn't work for you, um, but a fiction title covering the same types of themes might. Another nonfiction that just came to me while chatting is Picking Cotton. That's a book we read as a town together as part of one book. And that book was compelling even for the most reluctant of nonfiction readers. So I think you've got a few options here, and I hope that really helps. Good luck. Hi, this is Mary from Milwaukee, and I am looking for help on romance reads. I really want to love them. They're so trendy right now. So many readers I trust really love romance. But every time I try, I just find myself kind of rolling my eyes. Are there any out there that won't make me feel that way? Hi, Mary from Milwaukee. So in college, we learned 
that we, (laughs) meaning I learned in one of my classes, and I'm sure other people did too, that it's really important to define our terms. So I'm very curious, and if you were here with me today on my metaphorical couch, I would want to know what kinds of romance novels are you referring to? Because I think they're very different things. I remember watching the movie The Painted Veil with my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, and I think they were mistaken. Like, I think they thought I would love that because I like a good romantic comedy. The Painted Veil is a romance, not a romantic comedy. I am not particularly appreciative of romance, but I love, as I have stated many, many times, a good rom-com. I think quality also plays a part here. So even if we're looking at movies as the example, When Harry Met Sally is light years from 27 Dresses. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, quality matters. So I think those are some important important things to consider, defining our terms. Do you like rom-coms, but you hate romance novels? Do you like um, When Harry Met Sally, but you hated 27 Dresses? If so, join the club. Um, Another thing to consider is, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, Lee Kramer is one of my internet friends and real-life friends. I've met her now. Um, But she reads, she's an avid romance reader. And I was talking to her once about kind of my prudish reading tendencies. And she reminded me or kind of informed me, I didn't really even know this, that there's a difference between a closed door romance and an open door romance. I like my romances closed door. I don't really need to know what's going on in there. You might like open door. So I think that's another distinction. Do you even like the genre itself? And as I was talking to Sheridan, this idea of do we have to read what we don't like? And the answer is no. Um, We don't have to read things we don't like. Um, Not all of the time. That being said, it sounds like you want to try romance novels. You'd like to find one that you enjoy. So I'm wondering if maybe we could start out with a book that maybe is a, is a novel, just a fiction book, but has a slight romantic plot line. So I'm thinking of the classic Mitford series. I'm also thinking of Olive Again, which just came out last year. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's a slight romantic plot line, just a little one, that I thought was really beautiful and lovely. That's not a romance novel, but it has a romantic element. I loved the book The Essex Serpent, very literary fiction, but there is a slight kind of platonic friendship that maybe hints at something more. So you're getting maybe the babyest steps into romance, but you're having them couched in really beautiful prose and literary fiction. Another option might be to just lean into the cheese. So maybe that's hard for you to do with adult romance novels, but maybe young adult, and this could backfire, like Olivia, who is one of our um, avid children's lit and kind of YA lit experts at the bookshelf, she doesn't really like young adult rom-coms because she thinks they're all pretty much the same and they're a little bit unrealistic maybe based on our own personal high school experiences. (laughs) But I kind of like young adult romances because for the most part, they're closed door. Not always, but sometimes, (laughs) but a lot of the times. And I think you just can kind of get carried away in, well, these people are in high school. (laughs) And so these over-the-top reactions or these seemingly silly moments That's fine because they're teenagers, and so it's funny and sweet and silly. So you might be able to suspend your maybe eye-rolling tendencies if you knew, well, these people I'm reading about are practically children. 
And in that case, there's a lot of different books you could read, but I recently read and loved 10 Blind Dates, which admittedly is set over a Christmas holiday, but I still think it would be fun to read now. And What to Say Next by Julie Buxbaum. I actually think her YA lit is some of the best I've read. I really enjoy all of her books. I find them to be compulsively readable. The other thing is those books tend to be pretty short. And so sometimes you might get bogged down in maybe a thicker, more traditional romance novel. The last book I want to throw out here, and it's one I've mentioned on the podcast several times, is Evie Drake Starts Over. The reason I want to mention it here is because, to me, this is a book that deals with heavy things like spousal abuse, uh, grief, overcoming a career shift. And it's handled beautifully by the author, Linda Holmes. But there is a romantic element that I found to be really lovely and really believable. So that's an example of a book that I might not really shelve in the romance section, but it's definitely a rom-com-esque plot. But I didn't find it to be eye-rolly because the main characters are dealing with so many other things. They're dealing with loss and recovery and I really liked it. So that could be another option. Books like Evie Drake Starts Over where your main characters are dealing with more than maybe a love story. I hope that helps, Mary. I love a good rom-com, but I feel you. Like I understand this plight and um, best wishes as you try to maybe dive into more romantic literature. Hello, my name is Allie Lear and I'm from Bloomington, Illinois. And my question is, What advice would you give to someone who is afraid or embarrassed to admit that they love a certain type of genre or a certain author or book? The reason I ask is I have so many friends who are afraid to open up about their love of romance novels or YA lit. How can I encourage them to have no shame in their reading game? Thank you. Allie, I now need a t-shirt that says no shame in my reading game. Um, That's an amazing tagline, so thank you for that. Here's how I feel. I want us to stop feeling guilty about what we watch and read. And I know that's easier said than done, right? I think there's a lot of pressure to read certain books, to watch certain movies and TV shows, to listen to certain kinds of podcasts. And I have succumbed to that sometimes for my own betterment, right? Like reading and thinking outside my normal box is helpful. But I don't know that we need to be couching our TV watching preferences or our reading preferences with like this playful idea of, oh, it's my guilty pleasure. Like I watch The Bachelor. I think it's stupid, but I watch it because I enjoy sometimes watching something that's a little bit stupid. And that's okay. Also, I don't just watch The Bachelor like on, you know, a binge rotation every day. (laughs) Um, I watch it once a week, right? So I think maybe something that could help you or your friends who are struggling with kind of this reading shame is to make sure we're reading diversely, right? We're reading a wide range of things. We sometimes read to make ourselves knowledgeable about the world around us, which is admirable and important. And sometimes we read because life is a dumpster fire and we need something fun and we need a distraction. Both of those things are valid and both of those things are important. So maybe we need to remember that, hey, I like to read a romance novel because life is really stressful or life is really hard or because I want to read something romantic and fun. I always think, I don't know, I guess I think in terms too of eating, (laughs) 
food is a favorite topic of mine. And I guess I just think like, gosh, I love Sunny's barbecue, but I don't eat it all the time. I also have to eat, I mean, I wish I didn't, right? But I have to eat vegetables. I have to eat fruit. So I think just like we try to have as much as possible well-rounded diets, I think a well-rounded literary diet is important too. And I think that might take away some of the guilt. Um, I don't know. Look, this is not a nutrition podcast, so, so please uh, do not correct me. I did not look this up before <laughs> before I hit recording. But I was talking to a friend who was talking about intuitive eating, and I do not know anything about intuitive eating, everybody. I don't. Just what my friend told me. But I know what the word intuitive means, and I know what the word eating means. So basically, I think the idea is that you listen to your body, and you eat what your body wants and what your body is telling you. And I'm wondering if intuitive reading could like be a thing, where sometimes we read romance novels, and sometimes we read sci-fi fantasy, and sometimes we read historical nonfiction, because our mind and body is telling us what we need. And so I don't know. That's the first thing I would kind of suggest is, are we reading diversely? And sometimes we're reading for knowledge and sometimes we're reading for pleasure and both are good. And I also think let's just, let's just read and not feel guilty about it. Let's watch things and not feel guilty about it. I think that's okay. I don't think we need to buy into guilt. Now, if there is shame and guilt, like you've tried your hardest and there's still some shame in reading, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> or something. Like, look, I get it. I'm wondering if what would help is, I mean, look, we can read anything we want in the privacy of our own homes and then out in public have something else that you're reading. Like, I have a book in my purse at all times. Maybe that book is an essay collection or historical nonfiction. And that's not to like put up a facade, but it's just, yeah, out in public, I read for knowledge and at home I read for pleasure. Maybe that's an option. I'm wondering if another option might be audiobooks because nobody knows what you're listening to. <laughs> nobody knows and nobody cares. I think that's the other thing too, right? Um, I've talked a lot about my country fusion line dancing class that I'm in right now. And anytime I start to feel self-conscious or a little silly or berating myself for mistakes I've made, I look around and realize no one is watching me. No one really cares what you read, right? And if they do, that's on them. That's not on you. I also think the last suggestion would be find kindred spirits who you can enjoy your guilty pleasures with. So I have friends I text during The Bachelor, or I have people over to watch the Oscars. I'm not guilty about watching the Oscars. I don't feel guilty about watching The Bachelor, but I do have some kindred spirits who make that fun. And then I watch documentaries on my own time. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, there's a wide range of content out there, both literary and otherwise. And I think it's important to partake of a lot of it, of as much of it as we, you know, have time for and, and as much as makes sense for our lives. But let's stop feeling guilty. That's suggestion number one. Let's just get rid of the shame around what we read and what we watch. Don't be afraid to read for knowledge out in public and read for pleasure in the privacy of our own homes. The power of audiobooks. And I mean, to some extent, I guess ebooks. You know, I'm not a big proponent of ebooks, but I think they serve a purpose. And find kindred spirits who can enjoy your guilty pleasures, although let's never use that phrase again, who can enjoy those guilty pleasures with you. Hi, Annie. My name's Kay, and I live in the Midwest. My topic for literary therapy is about little women. It's been probably 25 years since I've read it, and I'm still sad about the ending and the marriage pairings. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks.
Hi, my name is Jessica. I'm coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. My literary therapy question is about Little Women because I have never read it and I want to and I want to love it. I've tried a couple of times now recently and I just can't get into it. Please help me. I feel like Matthew McConaughey right now. Like, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk about Little Women. I'm ready for it. Um, Jessica, friend, let's start with you. Look, as I have already stated on this podcast, not every book is for every person. But it sounds like you really want to love Little Women, like Mary wanted to try and love romance. So if I were you, I think the 2019 film adaptation is the best one. There may be people who disagree, and that's totally fine. I really do think it's the best one. Make sure you've seen the movie, because I think the movie really sets up who Louisa May Alcott was, why she wrote that book, and who she intended those characters to be. Then, before I picked up Little Women again, like before I tried again with the novel, because it sounds like you've already tried a couple of times, I would read either Meg, Joe, Beth, Amy, The Story of Little Women and Why It Still Matters, which is a piece of literary criticism by Anne Boyd Rue. She's a professor out of Louisiana. Or read March Sisters, which is a lot smaller, March Sisters on Life, Death, and Little Women, another piece of literary criticism by three different writers. I would read those to kind of inspire you and help you know, okay, this is why this novel is important. This is why these characters resonate and resonate with people I love. And it might kind of get you fired up to try it again. Because I think right now you're in this cycle of picking it up, not enjoying it, feeling guilty, which we've talked about book guilt today, feeling guilty about not ever having read it. So watch the movie adaptation, which you may have already done. Gosh, I hope so. Then tackle one of these pieces of literary criticism, one or both. I mean, you decide. And then try again. If you're still struggling, there is a graphic novel retelling of Little Women, but it is like a modern retelling. So it's about these girls living in New York City, but it's a graphic novel, which I think would be really fun to try. Or you've heard me mention, because last year I read the book Meg and Joe, where Joe is like a food blogger (laughs) and um, Meg is a stay-at-home mom. And it's like enjoyable. It's not the best book I've ever read. But again, that might just get you into the rhythm of who these characters are. I think a lot of people... I think about my mom. She's somebody who has never read Little Women. I think the size is also really intimidating. So I think what's important for you to know, and and I think you probably already do know this, but Little Women is really two books, right? So the first half is their childhood and the second half is their adulthood. Read the first half. Or, I mean, gasps from everyone, read the second half. Like, you already probably know the story because you've seen the movie, you've read these other pieces of literary criticism. Read one half. If you're interested in their childhood upbringing and how Marmy raised these girls, read the first half. If you're interested in Amy and Joe and how they reconciled and how they wound up with the spouses they wound up with, then read the second half. Those are my best suggestions. Again, not every book is for every person. It's okay to not like Little Women, even though it feels like, especially right now with the hype so high that everyone loves it, it's okay to not love it. But if you want to try, I think start with those pieces of literary criticism and with the movie. Then try again. Try reading the first half and like not getting bogged down in, oh my gosh, I've still got a whole other half of a book left. Instead, just read one and like put it down. Only read about their childhood and that's okay. Or try these graphic novel and like modern retellings and see if that gets you more excited. Now, okay, look, I'm just picturing Ryan Gosling standing in the rain yelling, it's not over, it still isn't over to Rachel McAdams because that's how I also feel about the pairings the romantic pairings in Little Women. 
Greta Gerwig's adaptation did make me feel a little bit better, and reading the Louisa May Alcott biography also made me feel a little better because it made me realize Joe was never supposed to be married. Louisa May Alcott didn't want her to be married. She did that to make a book, to sell her book, and I don't blame her. Greta Gerwig kind of makes that clear, I think, in the newest film. That being said, and I've said this on the Little Women podcast, I still want Joe with Lori, and I'm sorry about it. Like, I know as an adult woman, I'm supposed to more deeply understand Louisa May Alcott's decision-making, and I'm supposed to understand that Lori is too sensitive, and he's kind of this little prince, and maybe he wouldn't let Joe be who she needed to be. And, like, I understand that logically, but I read this book for the first time when I was eight. Kay, it sounds like you also read it a long time ago, 25 years ago. And so I think it's going to be hard to get over something that has made an impact on us as young people, as either children or adolescent readers. The heart wants what it wants. I do think it'd be a fun time to revisit the book. I myself have not reread Little Women in quite a few years, and I'm wondering if now's the time while I'm, you know, obsessed with Joe March and her wardrobe. And so I'm wondering if rereading it as an adult might help you at least reach some closure about why these girls, why these women wound up with who they wound up with. But you know what? I also think it's totally okay to feel what you're feeling. And I think it's okay to read the book or to watch the movie and still think to yourself, man, Joe and Lori really belong together. Because I kind of think they did. I was listening to a podcast I think it was Amanda Dobbins on The Ringer, and I think she was talking about Little Women and this adaptation, and she made the point that back when Little Women was written, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense for Joe to marry Lori. Joe wanted to be her own person. She wanted to be independent, and Louise Malcott knew that and really desired her to never marry. But Amanda Dobbins made the point, and I bought into it because I agree with it. (laughs) Amanda Dobbins made the point that maybe in the 2020s or the 2010s, Joe could have married somebody like Lori because it would have been more possible to be your own person and to be independent and to be ambitious. And it wouldn't have been problematic and it wouldn't have been intimidating or as intimidating. Um, So I think that's the other thing too, is maybe think to yourself, well, you know, back when that book was written, okay, maybe it couldn't have happened, but a modern day Joe and Lori, they could make it. I really believe that. Kay, you're not alone. Me, you, and Ryan Gosling, it's never over. It's just not over. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and the books we've talked about on today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading Handle with Care by Laura Ferguson Wilbert. I really like it. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, you can tell us by leaving a review on iTunes. Or, if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly New Release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, we're reading the first part of Anna Karenina, and receive free shipping on all your online orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. And if you're interested in being included on a future episode of Literary Therapy, submit your question to podcast at bookshelfthomasville.com. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.